By the way, the standing of the reading of the scriptures is not just out of respect. It's an old practice that was even um, that we see even in the Old Testament in the law. They stood for the reading of the word of God, except one time when Ezra was reading the law, made them stand for the entire reading of the law. So 30 seconds isn't so bad, is it? Jeremiah 22, 1 through 9. This is what it says. Thus says the Lord, Go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word and say, Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah, who sits on the, on the throne of David, you and your servants and your people who enter these gates. Thus says the Lord, Do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, and the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. For if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, they and their servants and their people. But if you will not obey these words, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. For thus says the Lord concerning the house of the king of Judah, you are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon, yet surely I will make you a desert, an uninhabited city. I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his own weapons, and they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. And many nations will pass by this city, and every man will say to his neighbor, why has the Lord dealt thus with this great city? And they will answer, because they have forsaken the covenant of the Lord their God and worshiped other gods and served them. This is the word of God. Thanks for coming. You can be seated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the entire word of God that you've given us, Lord. All 66 books, Lord, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. We are so thankful for each one of them. Your Holy Spirit has inspired every one of them, and your word is complete. And we know that your word also makes us complete. So, Father, I pray that you would further mold us into the image of your dear son, Lord, as we look at this word today, which is for this king long ago, but of course has principles for us in our life today as well, Lord, in the new covenant church. Father, I pray that your, that your Holy Spirit would apply these eternal truths to our hearts and help us to be more like Jesus, it's in, and it's in his name that I pray, amen. I want to get right into it today. This section of scripture has a lot in it, and I'm, I'm actually leaving a lot out that could be said about it. It is verses one through nine. You could divide it up into five portions, however, the first portion being Jeremiah's command, what God told him to do was to speak. The second part, Jeremiah's message, what God told him to actually say. The third part, blessings for obedience. The fourth, consequences for disobedience. And then the fifth, response of the nations. So that's where we're going. Jeremiah's command, Jeremiah's message, blessings for obedience, consequences for disobedience, and then response of the nations. Jeremiah's command was this, the same thing God's always told him to do, which is to speak to be his mouthpiece. We will sometimes look around at people around us that we think are maybe doing things more spectacular than us. We might not really treasure so much the gift that God's given us in his kingdom, what we're to do. Maybe even one of your gifts is more of a background gift. 
when I found those, usually people that have the background gifts don't usually admire the people in the foreground. They think, I'm glad someone else does that. But there are times when we will sometimes look at others and think, I'm not as special as that person because I don't do X, Y, or Z. Listen, if you're doing what the Lord's made you to do and told you to do, then you're doing exactly what you're supposed to do for the kingdom to come and his will to be done. Jeremiah is continuing to ring that same bell, to sing that same note. And that's all he was supposed to do. So do what God's told you to do. And you're right in the center of his will. Thus says the Lord, go down to the house of the king of Judah and speak there this word. Go down and speak, Jeremiah. That's what you're supposed to do. That's all I want you to do. And what is he supposed to speak? Well, first notice where he's going. In the last chapter, King Zedekiah sends messengers and says, hey, inquire of the Lord, ask him this, ask him that. And God says, you know, actually, I want you to go to his house. I want you to go right to the palace and talk to him there. Pronounce things to him. What is he to pronounce? Verse 2. Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word, actually it says, of Yahweh. Listen, king. Hear the word of the Lord, O king of Judah. You are sitting in the highest position of the nation. But let me tell you this, O king. You have a king over you, and you are to listen to his word. This is what he's saying, and we all have a king over us. No matter how high you get in this world, CEO, president, everyone is in subject to someone over them, and we are always subject to our king, and that's a good place to be. It's a good place to be in subjection to Yahweh, because you were made to be in subjection to him. It's a good place for you to be. That's actually where you find your happiest spot. Hear this, O king of Judah, who sits on the throne of David, you, your servants, your people, who enter these gates. This is to all of them, to the whole cabinet. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed, and do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood. So he starts out saying, listen, you who sit on the throne of David, remember David was a man after God's own heart, according to the scriptures. That's what he's called, a man after God's own heart. This king would have done well to conform to that example, King Zedekiah. He would have done well to conform to the king David. And how he was on that throne. He's sitting on David's throne, but he's not acting like David. He's not acting like his father either, Josiah, who we'll talk about in a moment. Zedekiah was not a great king, though he had a great example as a king. He had a great example as a king in the scriptures. So we all have the perfect example in the scriptures, of course, of King Jesus. We have no excuse He had no excuse either. He had the scriptures. He was a Jew, had the law. We're going to talk more about also why he definitely didn't have an excuse. But he's sitting on David's throne. He's definitely not acting like David, however. 
And in verse 3, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness, deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. Listen to what John Calvin had to say about this part that says, do justice and righteousness. He said this, he said, this especially belonged to kings and his judges and governors. For private individuals we know had no power to protect their property, for though everyone ought to resist wrongs and evil doings, yet this was the special duty of the judges, whom God had armed with the sword for this purpose. To do justice means to render to everyone according to his right. But when the two words, justice and righteousness, are connected together by righteousness, we are to understand equity, so that everyone has his own right. And by justice is to be understood by the execution of due punishment. For it's not enough for the judge to decide what's right, except he restrains the wicked when they audaciously resist. So he's saying it's not enough just to judge rightly. You also have to carry out the judgment. You also have to make sure that the judgment is done. It's not enough, it's not enough just to have good rules if someone's not carrying them out. We were walking the other day. We go on family walks. Um, we sort of count that as P.E. You can do that when you're homeschoolers, right? You can just go on a three-mile walk, and there was P.E. for the day. And Benjamin likes to just ask me all these questions. He said, Dad, if you had one wish, what would it be? And I thought, oh, my gosh, just one? Oh, let me think about that. And so he, didn't, he wanted an answer right now. So he said, okay, three. He just wanted me to give him an answer. You got three. So, so what's your first one? I said, well, I wouldn't want it to be just for me. I would want it to better the the world in some way. I said, I'll tell you what I wish. This is what I said. I said, I wish that no laws that have been placed all over the whole world, that they could never be bent or compromised or broken, and that justice was actually really carried out all over planet Earth. It could never be corrupted. I said, do you know what that would do for this world? Do you know how good that would make this whole world if we just enforced the laws we already have all over planet Earth? Because, see, we've lived in a country, Costa Rica and Belize. The corruption wasn't as bad in Costa Rica, but there were some very corrupt things that happened in Belize. There was actually a drug plane that we heard about that landed once on this stretch of highway. It's called the Northern Highway. It's this long stretch of highway in the country, and a drug plane landed. It was a big deal because they were offloading drugs. And well, they caught the van that they offloaded the drugs into before the, you know, after the plane flew away. And it turns out, guess who was driving the van and a part of the whole operation? Some police officers were part of the whole operation. And it was just like that a lot. I was witnessing to a guy once in our neighborhood there, a tiny little neighborhood, and the mailman didn't just drop off mail, I found out. He would drop off drugs sometimes, and sometimes he would buy drugs just right there on the street and keep on doing his route. I was talking to a man. I said, did you just, did you just get drugs from him? Because I was witnessing to him. He's like, oh, yeah. I said, that's illegal. He said, ah, everyone does it. It's like, all right. So when you live in a country where the rules aren't applied, where there's corruption, you actually see how that causes people to suffer. It creates hardship. It creates suffering. And so this is very important. God saying this to this king is important. 
because it causes this horrible society to exist. The suffering just trickles down. He wants the king to do justice and righteousness, to actually deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who's been robbed, not to be a part of it. And he says, do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow. See, this is, hard. This is all hearkening back to the law. Listen to Exodus 22, 21 through 24. He's just telling him, obey my laws that I've already given you. Exodus 22, 21 through 24. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. He says, do good to the sojourner, the one who's passing through, the alien among your midst, not alien like little green men, just a foreigner. Do good to them. You were once foreigners in the land and I brought you out and I was good to you. He says, also treat the widow and the fatherless kindly care for them make sure their needs are met or i'll make sure that your wife becomes a widow and your children become fatherless he cares for the downtrodden he cares for the lowly because they cry to him and he hears them so the king was supposed to be just obeying the law it's supposed to be something he was doing also leviticus 19 33 through 40 through 34, when a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall not treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native. No, I mean, I'm sorry, you shall treat the sojourner who sojourns with you as the native among you. Look, you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I'm the Lord your God. See, it's very easy to wrong a sojourner, or someone who's just passing through your land, just a traveler, all he's got is either what he's got on his back or what he's got on his animal that he's carrying with him. That's all he's got. And so it's very easy to wrong him, to rob him. He has no rights in this land. His currency probably doesn't even match the currency of the land he's going through. That's why God even says, when you're harvesting your crops, don't harvest the very edges of the field. Leave that for the sojourner, the one who's passing through, so he'll have something to eat as he travels. God's always cared for the lowly. And so the highest in society, the king, he should definitely care for them, not take advantage of them. And that's what was going on. People were being robbed. The king said, I don't care. It's actually benefiting me. Sojourners were being used as slaves sometimes because guess what? They don't have any rights. So you can just grab them up and say, you know what? You're mine now. You're my land. You're mine now. We're going to use you as forced labor. What's he going to do? How's he going to fight back? He can't. And that was happening. These kings who were supposed to be upholding righteousness were actually practicing wickedness. In verse 4, Jeremiah's already used language like this. Once in this book, where in verse 4, for if you will indeed obey this word, then there shall enter the gates of this house kings who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. They, will, they and their servants and their people. He's already talked like this before in Jeremiah 17 when he was talking about them obeying the Sabbath. Again, just going back to the law. Just going back to the laws that God's already laid down. If they would just obey those, everything would be fine. Like I wanted in my one wish, remember? 
that we would just as a world just obey the laws that have already been laid out in the land. I'm not, I wasn't even referring to God's laws, just the laws of the land, which we know come from God's laws. Every nation on planet earth has laws like don't murder, don't steal. We're really just borrowing from the morality that God's already laid down and the morality that God's put in our conscience. God's the author of all our man-made laws even ultimately. We're just borrowing from him. And so if the people of Israel would just obey the law, like verse chapter 17, verses 24 through 26, he's already talked about how David's throne would have these amazing kings and ride on chariots and horses, Jeremiah 17, 24 through 26. But if you listen to me, declares the Lord, and bring no burden by the gates of the city on the Sabbath day, but keep the Sabbath day holy and do no work on it, then there shall enter by the gates of this city kings and princes who sit on the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses. They, their officials, the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and this city shall be inhabited forever. My blessing will never stop flowing on you, is what he's saying. And people shall come from cities of Judah and places of Jerusalem, from the land of Benjamin. People will come from all over to be here. Bring in burnt offerings, grain offerings, frankincense, thank offerings into the house of the Lord. People from all over will worship God, is what he's saying. If you'll live according to my word, if you'll take this seriously and not live according to your own wickedness. He says the blessings will just flow. The king could expect blessings for obedience, but there's also references to this house. He mentions this house. Now we know almost any word can have a different meaning based on context. Like if I said the word trunk, well, there's the trunk of an elephant, there's a tree trunk, there's a trunk at the foot of your grandmother's bed probably we call them a chest sometimes but some people call it a trunk this word house also has a dual meaning elsewhere in scripture which we're going to look at in second samuel 7 1 through 17 because he says here in verse 6 for thus says the lord concerning the house of the king of judah concerning that that house We're going to see that it's got a dual meaning. In 2 Samuel 7, this is the section of Scripture that we we call the Davidic Covenant. This is the promise, the agreement that God made with David. Because David wanted to honor God. David was sitting in a house of cedar. And cedar in those days was the fine wood that you would build something out of. I mean, it was expensive. It was nice. You wanted to show that, wow, what a nice house. You built it out of cedar, especially the cedars from Lebanon. 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17. This is what's going on with David at that time. When God's blessed him, he's at the top. He's got peace on all sides. Now, when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go. Do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word, came to the, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. 
But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I've moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you and I will make for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell there in that place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall affect them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people of Israel, I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father, I will raise up for your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now he's referring to Solomon. This also has references to the future best king coming, but he's especially referring to Solomon here. I'm going to raise up for someone from you, from your body. He's going to build me a house. He's talking about temple, but prior to that, he said, I'm going to build for you a house, a dynasty. Verse 14, I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I put away from before you. For your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words, in accordance with this vision Nathan spoke to David. So, a dual meaning here. Warren Wiersbe brought this up too. He says in 2 Samuel 7, there's a dual meaning to the word house. A literal building, the temple David wanted to construct for God, and the royal house, a dynasty God established through David by his gracious covenant. These same two meanings are woven into Jeremiah's message. God will destroy both the royal palace and the Davidic dynasty because of the sins of the kings. The royal house of Cedar would be cut down and burned as the Chaldean soldiers went through the city like men chopping down a forest in Lebanon, which Jeremiah's poem brings up. Jeremiah puts his message into the, poem, into the form of a poem, like I've told you, it is very common for the Jews to do that. Verses 6 and 7, You are like Gilead to me, like the summit of Lebanon, yet surely I will make you a desert, an uninhabited city. I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons, and they shall cut down your choicest cedars and cast them into the fire. Gilead was known for its balm, its healing balm. There's even an old hymn about that. There is a balm in Gilead. And that balm came from its very choice um, wood. There were different types of wood there. Cypress, um, cedars, of course, as well. Forget all the different names. There's a, there's a, a lot of them. But this is where that comes from. And Lebanon, you've heard of the cedars of Lebanon. It was also known for its great trees. And so that's why these two places are mentioned. These are high places there in the promised land. 
not high places that you would worship false gods on. Just They were mountainous, but they were beautiful, full of these amazing trees. And so he says, you're like Gilead to me. You're like the summits of Lebanon. Beautiful. I, I love you. Yet surely I'll make you a desert. I mean, imagine a thick forest of beautiful trees, and they've always been that way. And God's saying, it's going to be a desert. I mean, think of being in like a, a dense forest. And then God saying, this will be a wasteland, a desert. Nothing will even be growing here. That's the picture he's given with, these, with his poem. Poems are purposeful in painting word pictures. And so he starts off with beautiful places like Gilead. Actually, we're told in the Old Testament, in the historic portions, that the physicians moved to Gilead. Most all the physicians moved there because of all the balms they could create for all the, from all the rosin from the trees. It was the place to live as a physician because you just had all these resources. It's like living in a pharmacy. They had all that they needed for the healing balms. And everyone went to Lebanon to get the cedars. David built his house from the cedars of Lebanon. And he says, it's going to be a desert. You may have noticed that in the picture I made for the title, it's a king looking over a desert. Well, <laughs> no, you didn't because I didn't mention the title, I don't think, did I? I've titled this message, God's Message to Leaders. Because this, this is... Just that. He's telling them, this is how you'll succeed, and this is how you'll fail. So far they were failing, but he's telling them also to come back. If you do this, you'll be blessed. But if you don't, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, your house should become a desolation. Your house, meaning the temple, where you are, your own home, but also your dynasty. You're sitting on David's throne now, but not for long. It's not even going, there won't even be a throne there. I'm going to tear down your house. I will prepare destroyers against you, each with his weapons. They shall cut down your choicest cedars. See, there's the reference to this great, beautiful forest. I'm going to cut them down and cast them into the fire. This would have never happened, this judgment, had these kings done what they were supposed to do. There's a section in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 17, it's specifically for the kings. Now, you know, Deuteronomy is like more of a condensed version of the law. Well, there's a whole chapter about, hey, this is what the kings are supposed to do. Did you know that the kings were supposed to do this? You may have never even seen this before. You may not have even known that kings were supposed to do this. Look at Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20. And when he, that's the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, look at this. He shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priest. They had to make sure it was right and accurate. And it shall be with him. And he shall read it when all the days of his life. Why? That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them. That his heart may not be lifted up against his brothers like was happening here. 
and that he may not turn aside from the commandments either to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. See, there's the dynasty going on, king after king after king, being blessed forever, like he said was going to be happening if they would have obeyed. Did you know the kings were supposed to write a copy of the law? Did you know that? You ever seen this portion? They were supposed to do that. They were supposed to handwrite it themselves and keep it and read it. Unfortunately, in all of the Old Testament, we have no record of any king ever doing that. Could it have happened? Possibly. Unfortunately, we just don't have a record of it. But they were supposed to do that. Write it themselves and read it and obey it as kings. See, when leaders don't do these things, when leaders turn away from God's word that go towards sin, anyone, anytime, ever, who disregards God's word and turns away from it, they're always turning towards sin. Anytime we turn away from darkness, I mean from light, we're turning towards darkness. Anytime we turn away from truth, we're turning towards lies. Always, forever, is the truth, period. For any one of us. Not just leaders, but all of you in some way either are in some type of leadership position or you will be. Even you stay-at-home moms, you're leading your children. Dads, you're leading the entire family. See, this king and what he was supposed to do is just a picture of a heavenly kingdom. See, God's kingdom is supposed to be shown by righteous leaders who lead according to God's word in any way, in every way. When you're at work, I think I told you the story before when I used to sell cars at Acura, how one of the managers came into my office and lied to my customers. And then I had to have words with him, even though he was a 300-pound linebacker built man I was so angry I didn't care I mean really he was big but I was so angry that he would come into my office and lie to my customers and I told him this phrase everything that I do and say in that office is built on truth don't come into my office and lie you know why because I had authority over that office so even my little office there was a small little microcosm of the kingdom why Because I had authority over it. And husbands, fathers, your household should be a little microcosm of the kingdom. There should be an aroma of the kingdom of God in your home. There should be a flavor of the kingdom in all that we do, in all that we're over. That's why we always want to create an atmosphere, an environment. It's got an aroma and it's got a flavor of God's kingdom. Remember, Jesus told us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. We're supposed to pray that. And that's a part of a prayer where we say, give us this day our daily bread. So that means that's supposed to be a daily prayer for us, a daily desire, a daily want. Lord, I want your kingdom to come. And people were supposed to be able to go to Jerusalem and get a picture of Eden get a picture of the kingdom of heaven. Our churches are supposed to be that way. Our homes are supposed to be that way. 
your workplace that you're responsible over, the part that you're responsible over, should be that way. I want to end with Jeremiah 23. Turn there in your Bibles or on your device. I don't have a slide for this on purpose. I want you to go there and look at it yourself. Jeremiah 23. We're going to look at verses 5 and 6. We're going to look at the king who does all this right. Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming. This is just the very next verse. I mean chapter, rather. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Remember, because God made a covenant with David. Someone from your family will sit on the throne forever. That's what he promised him. God doesn't break his promises. We do. We break covenant, not God. So here's the fulfillment. I was raised up for David a righteous branch. Does your translation have branch as a capital B? And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness. There's our phrase, remember? The king was told here, you're supposed to be doing justice and righteousness. And he's saying, my king will execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord our Righteousness. You've probably heard the phrase Jehovah Sidkenu. That's that one. This is it. The Lord our righteousness. And we know in the New Testament it says God made him who knew no sin to be sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is it. And he's the one. He's the king on the throne of David forever, reigning with wisdom, justice, and righteousness. And one day, that aroma and that flavor of that in heaven will be here on earth because he'll come and right all wrongs. He'll come and execute justice and righteousness. Won't that be a day when our king comes again and sets up his kingdom and gathers all his subjects who have been subject to him, to himself, to reign with him. And we'll get to see his face forever because he's a king who will lead rightly. And I pray that you know him. If you don't know him, you can know him. You can't be a subject of his unless you're subject to him. See, we do God's will by following God's word. We do God's will by following God's word. And that's how you show this you're subject to the king. You follow him. You obey him. But you don't even want to obey him until you're his. Because when you're his, you see him for who he truly is. A wonderful savior who's rescued you from your sin that was damning you to hell. And we worship him in spirit and in truth because he's our great king. Father, we thank you for the fact that you've given us the king. You've given us the one who will do everything rightly. He won't be like Zedekiah, who was nothing like his father Josiah, a good king. And he was just one generation removed from that, Lord. What happened? He turned away from the truth. Don't let us be like that, Lord. Don't let us... Lose it in one 
generation, I pray that you would be saving souls and continuing to advance the kingdom here on earth and help us to advance it in our church, in our homes, as we lead rightly according to your word. In Jesus' name, 